Yeah, sorry guys, it's me again. I was, uh, by the way, my printer didn't work this morning, opposite of Jennifer, so I have my phone with my notes, so please don't text me anything weird or inappropriate, because I have ADD, I'll get very distracted, honestly. Jeff, I see you. Seriously, man, I see you with your phone out. Uh, hey, yeah, so, yeah, I'm back. Uh, last week, we had fun. I was crazy, though. I was looking at, like, the transcripts. I don't like to listen to it. It's weird to hear yourself talk, but I was looking at it, I was like, the time, it was like 57 minutes. I was like, what the heck? I thought it felt like it was like 18 minutes. So I'm sorry, guys. So today we're going to be super short, and we're going to do something a little bit, a little bit different at the end. I'm really excited. I'm really excited. You're kind, you might be kind of scared. It's okay. Sometimes you do stuff with me. I do crazy things. My, uh, one of my buddies at my um, rehearsal dinner before we got married, my wife's dad was already a little nervous about us getting married. That was a little fast, and didn't really, you know, he wasn't super into me yet. And he stands up and he's like, toast to Joey, the guy that like, you know, if we want to know how deep the, the pool is at the bottom of a cliff, he'll be the first one to go because he just jumps into things without thinking. So that's kind of, uh, he's like, great. Thanks, Harry, for that. Appreciate the vote of confidence there. So that's, uh, all right, yeah, let's get started. Look, I'm already rambling. I'm watching my time. Seriously, guys, if I go over like 20 minutes, just start throwing stuff at me. I'm not even kidding. Just like a pen, a cup of coffee, whatever it is, I can take it, and I'll get the hint. Maybe. Um, all right, we're going to do a little thing today. We, we just last week, if you're here, I love this. This is great warm. So everybody, close your eyes. All right, picture the man or woman of your dreams. Perfect in every way. Perfect in absolutely every way. Hopefully, if you're married, it's your spouse, right? All right, good reminder. Okay. If not, talk to me after. Just like last time. Okay, the only thing is, every time they walk in a room, this, this song... We built this city by Starship Plays. The entire thing right here. Can you guys hear this song? The whole thing. Right? Every time. Are you in or are you out? In or out? In? Is everybody in? Made it? Out? I love this song. Wait, just wait. It's about to get really good. Yeah, right? I know I'm in. Every time. But the whole thing. I'm all in. Thanks, guys. Thanks for humoring me on that. I don't know. I feel like that was voted like the top, like worst rock song of all time. And I was by VH1. I was super disappointed in that situation. So anyway, here we go today. Thanks for having me up again today, guys. Super fun to be up here and, and talk to you. Thanks for bearing with me and my weirdness. Um, so question, question. Uh, have you ever, have you ever experienced shame in your life? Have you ever experienced shame in your life? I know I have. I think it's a pretty normal part of being a human and it's not fun. Shame, it's really painful, actually. I was, actually, I was wondering, like, gosh, what does what actually mean to experience shame? I look at the definition. It says as a, it's actually a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. Gosh, what a, what a bummer deal. And it was beautiful. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Hebrews 12, 12. It says, um, but fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, Love that fixing our eyes on Jesus. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The joy. By the way, if you don't know what the joy is that was set before him, it's you. Yes. And it's me. And he was he was full. He was full of joy and hope and peace to do this, to endure the cross. For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. He experienced not just pain on the cross, but shame. After shame, and he sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. Even Jesus himself, a God of the universe, the author of life, knows what it's like to experience that shame. And he did it. He did it on purpose. 
knows exactly. It's a very human experience, and the God of the universe understands what that's like, and he does not like it. Last week, we, we talked about this idea out of Isaiah 53, and it's, got, it's uh, Isaiah 53, 3, and, it, and the King James Version, just love the way it says it. It says that, that we, we esteemed him not. So we took Jesus, and, and we didn't put him in his rightful place in our lives, and we put him on the cross for it. And we do this kind of every day. We still do this. We esteem him not. We like certain parts of Jesus, certain things about him. You know, but, but just like the, the characters in the Bible, that we, as some stories we talked about last week, they loved like some of the miracles that Jesus did, some of his teachings. But there was other things about him they didn't like. They didn't like the kind of people he associated himself with. They didn't like some of the things he was saying was like so outlandish. They just, so, and they didn't, they didn't put him in his rightful place in their lives. And we do this all the time. We esteem him not. And we do this, it leads to us missing the adventure that he wrote for us, to writing our own story, to like taking the adventure that he wrote at the beginning of time for us, when he breathed us into his existence and just scribbling all over the pages and writing our own thing. And it, it's a mess when we do that. It never works out good. And it leads to us, people who love and follow Jesus, also being people who shame and, and judge and, and instead of love and be like him. But when we esteem him so, when we put him in our rightful, his rightful place in our lives as king of kings, lord of lords, the author of life, when we put him in the rightful place, then we begin to look more and more like him. Because why would we not? Why would we not pay close attention to the one who authored life himself? I love, we're going to talk a little bit out of the book of John today. And John, I love the intro to John. John, in the you know, first chapter, it really, it's, it's this really cool deal. And, and, and it talks about how Jesus was there in the beginning, right? Like in the beginning was, was the Word, and the Word was with God. saying Jesus was the Word. He was there from day one of creation all the way through. And it says in the message, I love the way it says, it says that the Word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Like the story became life. It's not just the author. He's not just the one who wrote the story. He is the story. Amen. He is the whole story. And he lived it out, and he moved into the neighborhood. He moved into where we are. He came to us. He initiates reaching out to the lost. And it's beautiful. So we start with that in John. And it's a great way to start because in the rest of the gospel, you read, you, you read it from the perspective of, gosh, this is the author of life living out the story. And he is the story. So we got to pay so close attention to everything that he does and says. It is so important. So we get into the story today. Uh, last week we talked about, uh, we're going to kind of just tack on to what I was talking about last week and kind of round it out today. And we, two of my just favorite stories in the Bible we got to talk about yesterday about Zacchaeus and, and Bartimaeus and these two like lost individuals who Jesus went into their neighborhood and, and reached out to them and loved them and offered them this full adventurous life despite the fact that everyone around them didn't think that they deserved it. Despite the fact that they were outside of what the world thought should have been his parameters of who to engage with and associate himself with. And he blew those parameters out of the water and loved them anyway and went right to where they were. And it changed everything and invited them in this adventure. And so today we're going to talk about one more story like this um, where we we see Jesus just living this out. Um, and it's showing us what this looks like. And it's out of John chapter 8, verse 1 through 11. It's about an adulterous woman. I'm sure many of you have heard the story before. It's a pretty classic story in the Bible um, and one of my dear favorite stories. I love this story because if you look at it kind of all in like one 
one piece, you have, you have the Savior, like, he's, he, Jesus being the Savior, being the Father. He's, it's like sin, the cross, the resurrection, the whole gospel all kind of accumulates into this one story. And it's just a beautiful painting of who Jesus is and what he wants for us. And I think the, I think the twist, sometimes we read stories like this and we make it about the, the, the individual in the story, the character, like the adulterous woman. But really, these stories are, are all about Jesus. And, and they're, they're side characters. They're secondary roles. Jesus is the main character. And so we're going to pay attention closely to him and who he is in the middle of this sticky situation and how he chooses to love and continue forward. So if you guys want to open your Bibles, or I think I have it up here. This is really, I, have, I made really fancy um, graphics for you guys today. You're welcome. Um, so we're going to go ahead and start John chapter 8. Verse one, and kind of back backstory uh, in in the Gospel of John, kind of leading up to this point, it's very clear that there's like a lot of people in the world at this point, like religious leaders and, and other leaders who just really are not liking Jesus, and they're they're getting very upset with him and very frustrated, and they're looking for ways to arrest him or kill him constantly because of the people he's associating himself with, the things that he's saying are so backwards. That, that they just can't handle it. And so they're looking for a way to get rid of him. So they're always trying, they keep trying to trap him. But there's also like people who loved Jesus and thought everything he did and, and appreciated him was just amazing. So they, they you know, he's got a bunch of followers too. So it's kind of this like dichotomy. So we get to this, this cool story where finally they, they try to do something about it. Um, so in, right here starts in uh, eight cha- verse, ch- chapter 8, verse 2. It says that Don, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach him. So he's sitting down in the middle. And there's tons of people sitting around. We're having church, circle time, singing songs, listening to Jesus. It's awesome. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery, and they made her stand before the group. So they bring in this woman, right? It's like in the middle of the circle, and they, they, they drag her in, and they throw her right in the middle. And what's, what's a huge bummer here is that this woman was caught in the middle of adultery. She was caught in the act, which means she was exposed. If anything, she just had a sheet wrapped around her, but probably not even that. And she's just right out in the middle of like all these strangers, right? She's standing there. Talk about shame. Gosh, the whole town seeing this right now. Like, I know I messed up, but wow, what a bummer. And they throw her right out in the middle. I don't know if you ever, I remember when I was in middle school, I was, um, I was not the, the uh, most self-confident, best-looking young man. I was, the doctors described, I remember like on the doctor paperwork, as, as husky. That was like the, the nice way of saying you, you eat uh, way, way too much mac and cheese. Like just, so I was not, I had like really bad hair. I had bad acne. I was super self-conscious, right? I remember I was like sitting in the middle of class, and I had like a, you know, a sweatshirt on. It's probably like summertime, beginning of school year. I don't know why... Sometimes middle schoolers just wear sweatshirts or jackets year round. It's crazy, but I did that. So I'm sitting down, like you know, in my sweatshirt, doing like math. Everybody's working, whatever. And I remember I'm getting hot, so I like take my sweatshirt off. You know, no big deal. And I'm sitting there, just keep doing math. And I look, and like everybody in the room staring at me, just laughing. I'm like, what the heck? What's going on? And I look down, and like when I took my sweatshirt off, my whole shirt came with it. And I'm just sitting in the middle class, just with like 
from here up, just like the day I was born. And I'm like glowing white, like nothing about that was, and I'm like, oh no, I remember like just freaking out. I'm like, this is not good. This is not good. I was like, I wanted to cry, but then that would have made it worse. I'm like, I don't know what to do. Honestly, like I have no idea. I'm trying to get my shirt out. And my teacher like takes me off to the side and that kind of helps me. And it was just like the worst. I just like this implanted memory. Like that was, you know, you have those dreams where you like show up to school with no clothes. I was like, gosh, I feel like it actually happened in middle school. That's like the worst time for that to happen. It was scarring. But I can't imagine like, and those were my friends like laughing at me. I can't imagine like this woman just right in front of strangers. Everything about her just exposed what she's done, who she is, all the way top to bottom, just right in front of strangers, totally exposed. And, and they, 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 he stands before the group, and then they, they try to trap Jesus. They said, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, which is really interesting. It makes me think that they chose this woman on purpose. First of all, pretty good chance this isn't the first time that she's done this, because they would have known, they would have known like, hey, we're trying to trap Jesus. Go find her. She's probably doing something she's not supposed to be doing. So they're probably looking for her. They found her. And they bring her in front of Jesus. Um, and, you know, I think it's really interesting they chose this too, because obviously it was pretty clear to them that Jesus had an, an exceptional heart for lost, broken people. Because that's what they used. They used a lost, broken person to try to trap him. That's what they used. It was pretty clear to them that these are the people that he loved and associated himself with. So we're going to, maybe this is an Achilles heel. Maybe we can get her with this lost, broken woman and throw her out in front of everybody and see what he does. So it says, they, you know, Pharisees brought him in, woman caught in adultery, and they, they made her stand for the group. And then uh, they say to Jesus in the law that Moses commands us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? And what's interesting here is that they're not wrong. They're not wrong. It does say that in the scripture. It says in Leviticus chapter 20, it says in Deuteronomy, it says that if you're caught in the act of adultery, you be put to death. One of them says you can put to death by, by stoning. And if you don't know, don't know what that is, it's when everybody around, you kind of get thrown in the middle, everybody picks up a rock like this. Got this at the river. It's kind of dirty. Pick up this rock, and then you stand up, and then when it's time, you just start throwing rocks until the person dies. For like, what? But they're not wrong. It is the law. And it's written, it's written in Leviticus. It's Levitical law. They're not wrong by saying that this is what's supposed to happen. So they put Jesus in this really hard situation. It's lose-lose for him in their minds. It's either A, he says, yeah, you need to stone her to death. And then he's not for lost people like he says that he is. Or B, he says, don't, and now he's in trouble because he's commanding them to break written code, which he could receive the same punishment. He could receive the same punishment. It says they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. They so badly by this point wanted to arrest him or kill him. They were trying to do anything they could to have a reason to do it. But then Jesus does the most amazing thing. It's, it's like, he, gosh, he is such a magician. He's just, it's almost like he wrote life, and he knows exactly what to do in every situation. <laughs> it says that he, he bends down, and he starts to write in the ground with his finger. Like, he just bends over, and he starts writing, right? And, like, right now, everybody's looking. It's like, 
So in that moment, when he does that, you know, there's a lot of theologians have different theories. Like, they're always like, what was he writing? Like, gosh, if we could only know, like, was he, like, writing some scripture? Like, or was it kind of symbolic of, like, how, how the finger of God wrote, wrote the commandments on the, on, the temple, on the tablets, and he's, like, doing the same in the sand? All that's great theories, but really the only thing that matters is that when he bent down and started writing, that all the eyes went from the woman and then onto him. And in that moment, he bore her shame. He took the eyes off of her and said, no, look at me. Just like he does on the cross. He says, look at me. Fix your eyes on me. I'll take it all. And now this woman is free in this moment. She's free. Her shame is gone. She can now, nobody's paying attention to her right now. They're all looking at Jesus, every single one of them. They want to know so badly what he's about to do. So he bends down, starts writing, and then says they keep on questioning him. I love that. It's like they keep badgering him. It's like they just keep throwing stuff at him, but not at the woman. That's what they would have done to her, but now they're doing it to him. And he's like, just taking his time, writing in the sand, just taking it all. Yeah, go ahead, badger me. I'll take it all day, all day. And then it says he straightens up and he says to them, if any of you is without sin, let him be the first one to throw a stone at her. Go ahead. If you've never done any, if you've never committed a crime, in fact, I bet some of you right here in the circle have been with this woman before. So go ahead. If any of you are without sin, go ahead. Be the first one to throw a rock. It's like there's nothing else he could have said that would have solved this situation. It was perfect. Perfect in every way. And he says it, and it's, it's just beautiful. I mean, of course, it says one by one, they start to drop the rocks. They start to go away. And the older ones first, till only Jesus was left. One by one, they drop the rocks. Thud, thud, thud. The oldest one first, of course. I don't know. I, guys, I'm not very old. But man, the older I get, the more I realize how far off I am from looking like Jesus. And how unworthy I am. And the ones who have lived a long life get it. They're like, you're right. Gosh, he's right. I got nothing to do or say. Drop the rock until nobody's left except for her and her Savior, one-on-one. Now they have, this is what Jesus is, he's so beautiful. This is what he wants. He's like, it's me and you. It's not anybody else, me and you right now. That's all that matters. Look at me. There's a lot of stuff going on around you. I got you. I saved you. You're good. You're free. Just look at me. They're the only two left. It's, it's, a, it's a, such a foreshadowing of exactly what he does on the cross. He takes it all. He frees us, and he says, let's right here. Look at me. And the woman is standing there, and uh, Jesus straightens up when it's just the two of them, and he says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She says, no one, sir. In one other translation, it says that she says, master, no one condemns me. And I love this. Like in this moment, she acknowledges who he is. Master, Lord, sir. She esteems him. She puts him in his rightful place in her life. She esteems him so. Master, you are the creator. She recognizes she had a need and he saved her and she recognized she put him in the rightful place in her life. It says, nobody condemns me. 
And she's probably standing there before, like, like, okay, says that, and then now I'm going to get reamed, right? Like, nobody condemns me, so here it comes. Here it comes. Everybody's gone. It's just me and you. I'm going to get reamed. He's going to go on and on and on, just tell me, like, all the things I've been doing wrong. Tell me I'm not worthy. I don't deserve him, and I, and I deserve to be reamed. But once again, he just continues to flip the script, and he says the most amazing thing. He says, neither do I. And neither do I condemn you. There's no condemnation. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't address her past or history. He says, neither do I condemn you. You're free. It was as simple as that. One encounter with Jesus in her whole life is turned around. But hear me, hear me clearly. I, I don't want, and, and talking about all these stories and interactions, I don't want you to think like that Jesus, Jesus is like, hey, great. Like I saved you. Like just go do whatever you want. It's all good. I'll just keep saving you, which he will. He will always show up. But it's not that he, it's not that he wanted this life for her. This is not what he, it's not what he wrote for her. Because he, he ends here before she goes. He says, hey, now go and leave your life of sin. But he says it not out of shame, out of judgment. He says it out of having first established his relationship with her. And, and, and saying, man, I'm your savior. I'm here for you. I love you. I got your back. And I have a different version of the story for you. I wrote it for you. Like, follow that one. Because this other one obviously is not working out. Like, look where it led. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin are death. It literally led you almost to your death. Like, you were standing there about to be stoned to death. Like, I love you. And because I love you, like, don't do this anymore. Find a better way. This is not what I had planned for you. And he says that out of love. He says it out of a relationship. We say in young life, we, we need to earn the right to be heard. We first establish a relationship with a kid. And then we speak truth in our life. We earn the right to be heard in someone's life. And it's not out of shame or judgment. It's out of love. It's out of love. And this, this story is so incredible. There's so many things about this that Jesus had every, every right along the way to just choose to something different, to choose to not protect her, not save her, not stand up for her. Not only was she a, a lawbreaker, she was a woman. And he was a Jewish man. Gosh, that was not acceptable. And yet he puts his life on the line for her in this scenario. This person does not deserve it. And he doesn't condemn her. And he invites her into living the story that he wrote for her. It's incredible. And it's not about the woman. It's about the Savior. It's about Jesus. He's the author of life. He is the story living itself out. And if he is doing this, if this is how he lived and loved without parameters, right? Blowing away the boundaries and just loving people unconditionally, no matter their walk of life, no matter their past. If he does this, then we should do the same because we are to be imitators of Christ. We need to love like this. And so often we don't. So often we miss it because we don't esteem him. So we don't put him in his rightful place in our lives. We like certain things about him, but certain things make us really uncomfortable. And we're just, I'm not going to go there. I'll do this, Jesus, but that, that's a little too much. I'm not sure I'm comfortable with that. So I'm, I'm just going to do this part. And it just leads to this culture that we've created where people don't feel that love all the time that Jesus has shown us to, 
to, to show to others. You know, feel that acceptance, that unconditional showing up in somebody's life over and over again, that pursuit of the lost. And we do this, and we've created this kind of culture sometimes where, gosh, people feel like you're in or you're out, and if you're not in, then you're out. But Jesus is like, no, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to you. I'm going to find you. I'm going to move into your neighborhood, and I'm going to bring you in. Let's do that. Let's be imitators of Christ. Let's love in this manner. I know it's like confusing. Like we get in this world, people tell me all the time, just confused all the time. Like there's so many issues, so many different things, so many different lives. I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to think about stuff and about the way people live and decisions they make. And they get really confused. They're like, gosh, and I, you know, I, I get wrapped up in like, but I, it's, I vote this way or I grew up this way, which is all good and it's all important. But set that aside and do what Jesus did and look at this person in the eyes and, and, and see them as a child of God. Because in that moment, that's all that Jesus saw. He didn't see an adulterous woman. He didn't see somebody who lived this life that led to death. He saw a child of God and he needed a savior. And he threw all that other stuff aside and that's all that mattered in that moment. That's what he's calling us to do. Look into the eyes of a human being and see them as my child and love them the way I would love them, no matter what you think about anything else about them. Just put it aside and love them. We're um, going to do something a little bit today. It's a little different. Please don't leave. (laughs) Please don't leave. It's going to be good, I promise. But it is different. It is different. Remember, Jesus, the Pharisees are like, Shh, they didn't like Jesus because he made them uncomfortable. So maybe some of you won't like me if I make you uncomfortable today. <laughs> we do this really cool thing in, uh, in, in Young Life. It's, it's kind of a really great deal. We call it cabin time. And what's nice about it, if we like take kids to camp and if we have a speaker that like totally blows it, just pff, didn't understand anything you're saying, it's okay. Because we go back and we hang out with the kids for a little while and we, we talk about some of the things that was, were said together. And it's really neat. We get to process some of it. And it's been really important. It's important for me in my life, some of our kids that we've worked with. So we're going to do a little bit of that today. I'm actually going to invite my wife up and she's going to lead us through a little bit of church um, cabin time. Today is my wife, Claire, by the way. She's a, she's a Southern woman. So, you know, she sounds a little bit like Craig. It's like filling in for Craig a little bit. Louisiana, she's right next door. So it's a little different. Is it on? Okay. All right. Go ahead. Okay. So Joe, hi. Thanks for having me up here. You didn't get a choice. I thrive on a microphone. So I'm just saying. Um, so Joey was, was a little stressed about how long he preached last week. And I was like, I have an idea. Why don't you just keep on with the same idea of what you were talking about? And then let's have grown up cabin time. And he was like, everyone might hate me. And I was like, how about I present it? So We're going to do it. And like Joey said, and I even love how Jennifer started today. Like we feel like the Holy Spirit is leading us into this place of an authentic community. This town, y'all, I've told like this town is magical. And I think part of it is because we want authenticity in our relationships. And so many times we leave church and we go back to normal life. Like my friend Susan has three little boys. She leaves church, they go get lunch, and then it's mayhem all over again, right? She doesn't have time to process and think about the sermon right after. And then, you know, life continues on. You know, it's just how we roll. It's how things happen. 
And so we thought, I said, Joey, just preach for 20 minutes and then let's talk about it. Let's unpack it a little bit together. He's like, uh, people make it uncomfortable. But sometimes, actually oftentimes, being uncomfortable leads to good things, right? It leads to good things. It's uncomfortable in the moment, but it leads to good things. And some of y'all are like, sweet, I get to talk. This will be awesome. And some of you are like, oh, turn to someone next to you and we're just going to have a conversation. So we have some questions. Are they going to come up? I hope. Okay. Hopefully y'all can see them. We have three questions and it's kind of like choose your own adventure, right? Like, are you going to jump off the cliff not knowing how deep it is? (laughs) Or are you just going to hang out on the side and watch people jump off the cliff? You know, you guys get to do choose your own adventure. So hopefully these are big enough to read. The first one is just talk about what you heard, right? What is one thing you learned or that stood out to you today or this morning that you want to take with you into your day, right? And maybe that's all you can handle right now, right? Is like, what is one thing I want to hang on to? And if I say it out loud, you know, it's like studying for a test, like everybody has their own little learning method, right? If you actually talk about it, maybe it'll stick with you. Okay. So maybe that's all, maybe that's what you're going to take with you today. And that's what you're going to talk about. But then we have one, maybe one little level deeper. Have you ever experienced undeserved grace from someone? Okay. Have you, this is kind of like the positive side of like, we don't want to talk about when was, when did you experience shame? But you know, like when did you experience that undeserved grace and how did it affect you? And then the third one, have you ever had the opportunity to walk with someone whose lifestyle background and or beliefs were far different from yours? And I, and I like this question because maybe you're going to sit next to someone who you're like, wow, I have a family of immigrants that moved into my neighborhood and that's different and hard. And I'm trying to figure out how to navigate that. And I want to share that with you, you know, so it gives everyone the opportunity to talk about whatever their level of comfortableness, that's not the right word, um, is. So I see most of you are sitting at least by one other person. If you're not, if you look around and see that someone's sitting by themselves, just turn around, right? Like forward, backwards, side to side. We're going to create little groups of like five-ish people or three or two, whatever. It could just be you and your husband talking if that's what you want to do, right? We're not trying to like make anybody super uncomfortable, but maybe a little uncomfortable. Like it's okay to be a little uncomfortable, you know? Um, And we're going to, we're going to set a timer and we're going to give us five to seven minutes just to have a conversation, introduce yourselves. You don't need to go into your whole family background, but introduce yourselves and then somebody be brave and start. I'm just going to challenge you for somebody to be brave. Maybe we can play some background music. So it's not super awkward. I don't know tech people if you have that easily available to you. Um, And we're just going to have a conversation and then I'll come back up in a minute and wrap us up. Okay. Can we do it? Can we try? Guys, we are going to wrap up these conversations. I hope that you met someone new um, I hope that you had a great conversation with your spouse, maybe that because you had time to without your children <laughs> interrupting you, right? Um, but I think that these these moments are valuable, um, and these moments build community. Um, so um, hopefully it was a positive experience, and hopefully if it was uncomfortable, you'll get over it in 24 hours and, you know, <laughs> not be scared when Joey gets up here to preach again. <laughs> Um, but I, um, I am just so grateful for this community. I'm thankful that, you know, we get to try something different and try new things and that, that you guys are all open to the spirit moving. Um, and that is super, super important to us, um, in any kind of community. So, um, thank you for participating in our little experiment. Um, 
And I am going to, I'm going to pray for us. Um, I'm going to wrap up our time um, being together. And then we are going to move into this beautiful time of in community um, receiving communion. So Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to be together this morning. We thank you for this opportunity to connect with other children of the Lord. God, this opportunity to look at each other face to face um, and be able to unpack these precious moments that you have with each other, that you have with your children, that you allow us to have with each other. God, we are so grateful. We are so grateful that we have these words to cling to. We are so grateful that we have you um, to, to be able to imitate God. I pray that you fill us with your Holy Spirit. I pray that you give us opportunities to, to look to you when things are not comfortable. We pray that you give them to us. And we pray that you fill us with your Holy Spirit to be able to lean into them, to be able to lean into encounters with your children, with your children who may have not felt loved in a really long time. God, we pray that you would fill us with an abundance of your love and your grace so that we can extend it to those inside and outside of our normal parameters. God, I pray that you break down those walls. You give us opportunities to earn the right to be heard to your children who you love so much. God, we love you and we need more and more of you every day. We thank you for this opportunity to come to your table. We thank you for this opportunity to get to remember what you did for us on the cross. Thank you for the cross. Jesus, thank you for taking all of our shame, all of our sin, taking all of it so that we could be with you. God, we are so beyond grateful. So God, I pray that as we all come together and as we have our moment with each other and with you remembering the cross, that you fill us, fill us with more and more grace to be able to take this communion and bring it into our community. God, I pray that you would continue to build authentic relationships that are centered around you and your unending grace. We love you and we need you. Amen.